turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. We've been in a series that we have entitled Proverbs, Search for Wisdom, trying to seek out wisdom from God with regards to everyday life. And uh, we find ourselves in Proverbs chapter uh, 22 uh, this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 544, page 544. And we're going to focus our attention and our time uh, on uh, this chapter of the book of Proverbs by focusing in on, on one verse. And this one verse is, is a proverb, and I want to remind us that the definition of a proverb is a godly and wise statement that is a truism for us as people. What that means is that the statements we're going to read are usually true in most circumstances. They are not necessarily promises that can be counted on to be true all the time and in all circumstances. That is the very difference between a proverb and a promise. And that's going to be important because we're going to come to a a very famous passage of Scripture this morning speaking on the subject of of parenting and raising up kids. And some of us have taken that as a promise and we've wondered why in some ways it hasn't turned out maybe the way we wanted it to. And so what I want to do is look at Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 and then expand it to the rest of the chapter to see how you and I can be wiser and a little more capable as parents but not just a message on parents, but also a message to the kids as well. So let's go ahead and, uh, if you haven't yet, turn to Proverbs 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21, and then we'll ask God's blessing. We'll get right into our message this morning. Stand for the reading of God's Word, and listen to what Solomon shares to his son, and our Father, of course, in heaven shares with us. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he who overturns the words, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. The sluggard or the lazy one says, There's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written you for you thirty sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who have sent you. Father God, we come before you, and as we open your word, I pray that you would teach both parents and child alike today. Train us so that we may know how to lead our families well, how we may be able to look at this new world ahead of us as young people as well, Lord, that we may know what is right and good, and that it may truly be pleasant with us. I ask for your blessing on your word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Go ahead and be seated. As I was thinking through what I was going to be sharing in the weeks to come, uh, I always am asking the question, uh, is there a, a picture, an illustration, a metaphor that will help us to understand the text that is before you? And as I was thinking on the subject of parenting, a couple weeks ago, my family and I found ourselves in western Michigan at an amusement and water park called Michigan Adventure. 
And as I was getting ready to ride one of the rides, the metaphor for today's message uh, came to me. And what I want you to think about is, and, you, and if you're a parent, you totally are going to understand this. You're going to understand this metaphor that parenting is a lot like a roller coaster. You know, at the beginning of it, there's all this excitement. There's all this, you know, oh, this is going to be great. And as you wait for it, and the, and the beginning of the parenting process is a waiting time. You're waiting for the exciting things to begin to happen. And, and then you get into the ride itself. And, and if you're like me, you start questioning, why in the world did you get on the ride in the first place? And they're putting all the seatbelts, and they're bracing you in as if you may fall out of it. And you start wondering about what you're a part of. And then you start climbing that first steep hill, okay? And that, that obnoxious clicking noise drives you crazy because you're wondering when is it going to stop and when, when is it going to be done? And, and you begin to think that the hill is a whole lot steeper than it looked. And when you get to the top, then all of a sudden the floor drops out from underneath you. And what was once a spirit of excitement, now you're just holding on for dear life. And you're screaming your head off, pleading for it to be done once and for all. Some of you are living that right now. And you go through these series of turns and steep uh, peaks and valleys. And then they put you through a tunnel where you don't even know what direction you're going in. And I will tell you, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And little do you know that at a moment's notice, the ride comes to a stop and it's all over. And some of you right now are in the empty nesting period going, that went way too fast. And right when I was starting to figure out, really when I was really starting to enjoy it, the kids have left the house and they're now on their own. Roller coasters are a great illustration when it comes to parenting. Because like roller coasters, you are at one moment at a place of total elation and the next moment you want to vomit your guts out. If you're not a parent, just wait. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Parenting is not easy. It is incredibly difficult. And what we need to be careful of is that when we speak on the subject of parenting, that we don't just simply affix a set of rules and regulations to what it means to be a good parent. If, if there's anyone who tells you that they're an expert on parenting, then they obviously aren't a parent in the first place. What I come to learn is that before I had my children, Amanda and I had three theories on parenting. Now that we have three boys, we have zero theories on parenting. All right? It is, it is hard work. It is something that will test the fortitude of a, of a man and woman. And so what we need to be careful with is not simply say, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, then this is going to take place. You see, we are big on guarantees and formulas, but I want to make something abundantly clear. The Bible gives no guarantees with regards to parenting. There are no guarantees that it doesn't say, well, if you do this verse and this verse and this verse, your kids are going to walk with the Lord. Or if you, you, you make sure you do this thing and this thing and this thing, that they are going to be successful kids as they grow up. The Bible gives no such guarantees. That's why this passage is in the book of Proverbs, not Promises. What it says is here is a true statement. Here is something that generally is true. You raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. But no guarantee is given. And so what God gives before us is some advice. You see, some of us have, have done a fine job at parenting our kids. You have dedicated yourself to living and, and, and teaching your kids the way of the Lord only to have them now break your heart because they want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with a faith. And you come back to where did we go wrong? And what we're going to learn today is that yes, the parents have a role, but the child has a responsibility. God has given them the responsibility to make their own decisions and to be able to answer for the decisions they make. And so as we look at this proverb on parenting, I want us to see that God has some wonderful advice and some wonderful opportunities for us to lead. And it begins, first of all, with the parent's role. The parent's role. What is our role as parents? In verse 6, we are given a, a challenge. Train up the child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. To explore what the role of the parent is, I want to give you uh, if you will, Tim Bedall's proverb on, on parenting. And it's not that I came out of this out of uh, thin air, but it's something that I, I believe the Scripture is teaching to, 
And we're going to use it as an outline as to how parents ought to take their role with regards to parenting. And so notice the first aspect of this role begins, first of all, go ahead and flip the slide for me. Parents are called to train. We're called to train our children. Let's just stop there for a moment. That word train in verse 6 is, first of all, given as a verbal imperative. What it means is it's not a suggestion, it's a command. It is something that should be a part of the foremost priority in the life of the family. If you have children in your life and they are still in your home, the number one priority, earthly priority you have is to raise up your children and to train them during that time. But what does that training look like? That word training is the Hebrew word, listen to it, hanach. Okay, you gotta, you got to really get it at the end. I want you, if you're sitting next to someone, repeat that word to the person sitting next to you and get it, kind of growl it out, chanach. Okay? All right, don't spit on each other, okay? But here's why I think that's an important thing. I don't just share that with you to say, hey, hooked on Hebrew worked for me, okay? The reason why I bring that up is, parents, when you say that word, doesn't it feel like parenting sometime? A little gritty, a little growly, chanak. Uh, I mean, it hurts a little bit to even say it. And I wonder if God's giving us a picture of what parenting's like. It's gritty, it's growly, it's, it's something that at times is, is going to hurt, it's going to be painful. And this word is a word most often translated in our scriptures, train. And that's good, but more literal, if you will, the word literally means to dedicate or to consecrate something. During Solomon's day, this word was most often used to speak of taking something, an object of ordinary use, and sanctifying it or consecrating it, separating it to be part of something sacred. So it would be spoken of of a, of a goblet or a, or a candle holder that would be used in the home. The priest would take it and consecrate it so it could be used in the temple. Well, what does that mean for us as parents? We take ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill kids, and we, we nurture them, we invest in them so that they can do extraordinary things for God. That's what training and, and being a parent has, as a follower of Jesus Christ is to look like. We take regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill kids, and we say we are going to help set them apart so they can be used by God for the furthering of his kingdom. Now, this word train also is something that we need to understand comes with a disclaimer. It doesn't just say do it however you want to do it. It says train a child in the way they should go. Now that has a two-tiered aspect to it. To train a child in the way they should go, first of all, write this down if you're following along in the sermon outline page, it begins, first of all, by pointing them in the right direction. That's important. We need to point our kids in the right direction. Not too long ago, I was catering at an event at my other job, if you will, and I was at a park, and I was busy grilling the food for the luncheon that was going on, and there was this group of moms having a play date at the playground. And one of the kids, you could tell, was different than every other kid because this kid was, it had just rained that morning, this kid was getting all muddy. I don't mean, you know, your run-of-the-mill muddy. I mean, he was taking globs of mud and, and putting it all over his face and his clothes and all of that. And I'm sitting there going, okay, someone's going to say something about this because now little Johnny is taking mud and trying to put it on other kids, okay? And I'm thinking, there's going to be a fight here because tidy mom somewhere here is going gonna, is gonna to be upset. And so finally, I'm amazed at the, the uh, emotional composure of one of the moms because now little Johnny's trying to, to make little Sally, and I don't know what the names were, but little Sally, and I'm just laughing at this whole thing unfold, trying to get her all dirty, to which mom says, hey, mom, you know, Johnny probably shouldn't be playing in the mud like that. Look at he's a mess. To which Johnny's mom said, that is how Johnny expresses himself. And we don't want to thwart any expression. Okay? Let me tell you something. Godly parenting, listen, is not child-centered parenting. Okay? Your kid doesn't determine where he or she is going. 
All right? They can yell and scream the whole way. Give you an idea or or an example of this. When you're driving in the car, you have total uh, discretion on where you're going. They can yell and scream. They can cause all kinds of issues. But you're the one saying, we're going here. Think of a world if parents were secondary to kids. Now, kids, you're really, amen to that. Let's think about that for a little bit. It would be anarchy. It would be chaos. And what God says in his word is parents set the direction. You point the child in the right direction. They are not the one who determine the terms. You are the one that establishes the terms, and you hold those terms as faithfully as you can as a parent. So training is pointing the child in the right direction. But it also is to allow parameters to be built around them. So write that down. You point them in the right directions and you give them parameters. What that means is, is you don't just t- take, okay, here's your spiel, your speech of parenting, and you just dispense that the same with every child. I had to come to learn this when child number two came along, right? I had to understand that what we had learned with child number one wasn't the same way we might parent exactly as child number two came about. And so notice what that means. That means that we set parameters with regards to our parenting. And why do we do this? We do this for a couple different reasons. Number one, we do it because no child is the same. Now, there's a couple things I want you to know about children. Why is it that our children need to be pointed in the right direction and parameters set around them? The Bible says three things about children. Number one, it says children are special. If you didn't know that, you should know that. Psalm 127 says that children are a gift from the Lord, okay? They are special little, little buggers, okay? God bless our little kids, okay? But here's what you need to understand. Yes, they are special, but they are special savages, okay? All right, your cute little baby that you have, you bring them home from the, from the thing. They are special, yes, special gifts, bundles from the Lord, but they are sinful, Okay? Now, think about this. Not at any point in our three raising, or the raising of our three kids, not at one point during those first couple years did they ever stop and say, can I help you with something? They're selfish little creatures. They, it's about me. It's all about the baby. Never do they stop and say, hey, why don't you, t- mom, just take some time off and, and I'll make dinner or, or I'll change my own diaper or any of that. Okay? They are selfish, little, sinful creatures. Psalm 51 says, We are born in our mother's womb into iniquity. And, and the final thing that we need to understand, why kids need to be pointed in the right direction and, and parameters built around them, is that they are simple creatures. The Bible says that young people are simple. Children are simple. What that means is they lack understanding and wisdom. And so the worst thing you can do is say, Junior, you tell me what you want to do. You point me in the direction you want to go. That is the worst thing that can happen for you as a parent and for the child because the child doesn't know. The child has this whole new world around them and they have no idea uh, what is going to be before them unless wise and knowledgeable people come around them and tell them what to expect. Now, That all works great with one. Then the second one comes, okay? And I'm going to talk to people with multiple kids. You think you've got it figured out, and we thought, man, we became experts on Noah. First couple of years, there was a couple of years between Noah and his younger brother, and we became experts on Noah. We were ready, Amanda and I, to go on the teaching circuit, teach parenting all over the place. We got this thing down. This is easy. And then Josh comes along, and Josh is nothing like Noah, And then we really get hit because Luke's nothing like the first two. And it's amazing, isn't it, that the DNA strands come from the same source, and yet from that same DNA pool you get so many different kids. The Duggars have, what is it, 19 different gene pools going on, if you will, and they're all different, okay? And here's the thing that I want you to know about parenting. What I have learned, what I've learned from my parents and other godly people, is that parameters need to be built. And what we can do really quickly as parents is say, this is how we are going to do the one-size-fits-all parenting. Let me tell you, and if you've been to Walt Disney World, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about here. At Walt Disney World, there's a ride. It's called the Grand Prix. And it has a bunch of uh, race cars that go along a track. 
And here's the thing. When I go with Joshua, Joshua gets in there, and it's like a Sunday morning drive, right? We're just enjoying ourselves straight as an arrow where the road curves, we curve, and all of that. Well, when I went with Noah, it was totally different, okay? Noah's hitting the gas, hitting the brake. We're swerving all over the place back and forth. And luckily, Walt Disney, in his infinite wisdom, put a metal rail in the inside under the car. And the way that that, what that would do was keep us from careening into the, the concourse, killing people left and right, okay? Here's what I want you to know about parenting that works with that car idea. Both Joshua and Noah finished in the same spot, but the journey was far different for both of them. One, it was, you know, drive like you're supposed to drive. The other one, like Noah is all me, not his mom, uh, we're bouncing all over the place. And some of us have got kids, man, they just, they, they do what they're supposed to and, and they listen to rules and all of that and God bless them, that God's made them that way. There are other kids that, man, they want nothing to do with that middle rail. They want to jump off that rail and, and, and with reckless abandon go and enjoy life. God's created them that way. And what we need to do is create enough area for the child who's straight-laced and the child who's free-spirited to have the ability to express themselves in a way that doesn't hurt them or hurt others. Does that make sense? So we need, to be, we need to be careful with that. So this training, there's a lot of work to be done. Now notice, what are we to train them towards? Notice the next part. Is to train their children to do what? We want to train our kids to glorify God at all times. Write that down. To glorify God at all times. Now, what does that look like? The best thing you and I can do as parents or as grandparents, listen, is not to raise good kids, but godly ones. There's a difference between that. Some of us are only interested in raising good kids. That we want to raise good students, good athletes, good musicians, good artisans. Uh, we want to raise kids who will be good employees, who will be good citizens and good neighbors and good spouses and good parents. And as, as believers, we say, well, if they love God, that's just cream on the top of the Sunday. That's, that's just extra. But listen, the book of Proverbs says that we should desire to raise godly kids who in life, whether they win lose or draw, glorify God. That is your goal. If you're a follower of God's word this morning, your number one goal shouldn't be that my kid does well in the athletic field or in the classroom or, or, or gets a great job or, or it gets uh, admitted into the best schools. The number one thing is whatever comes about with my child, they will live for Christ day in and day out. And what that means then is that we need to, number one, we need to train them in, in that way. But, but how do we do that? Notice the next part is by carefully addressing the important topics of life. We've got some training to do, and that training involves two things. Notice that training involves, number one, education. You have to talk with your kids. You have to teach your kids. You have to educate your ch- kids on what it means to be a godly a young person. And that's easy for us as parents. We say it, do as I say, okay? It's easy to uh, just share those things over and over again to our kids. This is what you're supposed to do. But notice, it isn't, parenting isn't just about education. It also involves example. You see, some of us as parents right now are saying, do as I say, not as I do, okay? No, Godly parent says, do as I say and as I do. So godly parents need to tell their kids what to do, and then they need to model it for them. They need to be able to say, here's why we do what we do, and here's how I'm doing it. This is how I am submitting myself to God and his word. Now notice this education and example fleshes itself out in eight ways in this proverb. There are eight different ways that I believe we can be training our kids. And it's not in your outline. You're going to write these things down. And I hope and pray that this will become a template for you, no matter where your kids or grandkids are at, that these are things that will come to your mind when it says, well, how do I train my kid in the way they should go? Well, notice number one, 
is found in verse number one. One of the things that we need to educate and be an example to is that a good reputation is better than riches. Notice verse one. A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver and in gold. What that means is that your name, when, when the name Timbadol comes to a group of people, they don't roll their eyes and say, oh man, that guy... I mean, he's trouble. That guy, he's dishonest. That guy, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a schemer. But that when they hear the name of Tim Bidal in the community, people say, that's a wonderful guy. That's a trustworthy guy. We want to teach our kids what it means to have a good name. Let's not worry about what their pay schedule is. Let's make sure that their name and their reputation is that of being trustworthy and kind and beneficial to all those we come in contact with. Notice verse 2. There's another one that we can teach our kids. And that is honoring all humanity. Honoring all humanity is right and good. Write that down. Well, where do we get that? Verse 2. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What we need to be teaching our kids is that no matter on uh, social economic status, no matter race, no matter uh, where a person is at, if they're all put together or their life is falling apart, all humanity is important to God, therefore it's important to us. Now we teach this to our kids when we say, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And so we tell our kids, yeah, you got to love all the precious little kids. Well, the precious little kids can become obnoxious adults. And what we need to be teaching our kids is, even when they don't agree with us, even when they become our enemies, we are to honor all humanity because God is the maker of them all and they bear the image of God. Go to verse 4, we see that loving God is the key to life. Verse 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. What your kids need to know and what my kids need to know is that the greatest endeavor in all of the world is to know Christ and to be known by Him. And that when you know God and He knows you, it is better than any riches, it is better than any uh, job opportunity, it is better than any vacation. To be in a relationship with God is greater than anything this world could ever give us. And we need to be showing that. And how do we show that? We show that by teaching them God's word and then showing them that the Christian life is truly the greatest place to be. When was the last time you sat down with your child and said, you know, let me tell you how great it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is. The peace and the contentment, the joy that comes. Notice verse 7 tells us that we are to teach our children to master their money is better than allowing your money to master you. Notice in verse 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And so we need to show our kids what it means to be good financial stewards. I am blessed as, as a, uh, a son, and now as a father, to have parents who taught me what it meant to uh, earn an honest living, And to use that money in a wise way. To be careful with exorbitant debt. To be careful not to uh, be contented in all things. And notice that this money issue goes down to verse 9 as well. Where we are to teach our kids that greed is bad and generosity is good. In the Bedal house growing up, I knew a couple things. Number one, that money was tight. But that meant that we needed to be looser with it when it came to others. And so money was always tight in the Bidal family. We, we were a, a, a very much a lower middle class family, maybe even a lower class family in some ways. The things were always tight in our family. And here's what I came to know. I came to know what it meant that in our lack, we would be generous with others. So what I learned is that even though we had little, my parents were always faithful to give to the local church and to give back to God. They were generous in that. And they were always finding ways to give uh, both of their time and their talents and their treasure in that way. The other thing I learned is though we didn't have a lot, I was amazed that we always were able to find others who needed more. 
and that around our table, I can't tell you how many Easter's, how many uh, Thanksgiving's, how many Christmases, there were outsiders at our table. People that did not have family, maybe they didn't have much to eat, and they were welcomed into our family, and, and, and we just had a ball with these wonderful people. And, and the ministry that my parents did, they were generous in that way. I want to teach my kids that greed is bad. When we, when we invest in ourselves, we're going to get nothing in return. But when we invest in others, in serving others, the Bible says it is always better to give than to receive. Teach your kids that. Train them up in that way. Another thing that we need to teach our children is that laboring is good and laziness is bad. Notice in verse 13, the sluggard or the lazy one says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. And if you don't understand the context of it, what is being said there is the, the, the lazy individual saying, why haven't you left your home? And the lazy individual says, because there's wild animals outside, and if I go outside, I might get swallowed by one of them. What an absolutely foolish answer. And yet, what we do all the time is we tell our kids that that their laziness is okay, that they can sit around and, and not do anything. Teach your kids what it means to labor. Even pay them. A, way, a, a laborer or a worker deserves his wage. As a young boy, I worked. Now, be careful. You don't start doing, when I was a kid, I had to walk seven miles uphill to school and all that. We know you all were lying about that. My dad used to talk about trudging through snow. I said, Dad, you were born in Baghdad. When did you ever have snow in Baghdad? Okay, so we know, parents, you lie about that stuff. But there is something glorious about a young person. Each of my boys now are starting to work where they're given responsibility to do things and that there's something in return, whether it's an opportunity or, or money. We need to teach our kids about laziness. And here's the thing. Laziness is so much more today than it ever has been before. Right in our hands with those little screens in front of us, the world is at our disposal. We don't have to move. And I want to encourage you, uh, my wife saw uh, some real trouble coming along because our boys were being inundated. Technology is great, but it can be overwhelming to a family and about the first or second week into the summer, Amanda brought down the hammer and said, turn off all technology. Well, how long? Ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? Amanda says, for the entire summer. Oh, there was weeping and wailing in Rama. Okay? But after the first week or so, the kids forgot about it. And it was harder for us in some ways to turn off our own technology and invest with one another. Laziness is something we've got to address. Verse 14 gets even more personal. The mouth of the forbidden woman, the prostitute literally is what that is, is a deep pit. What we need to teach our children is that all sexual activity is for their spouse. Oh, we've got to teach this because those little technologies that they're holding on to, those things that are before them, are going to tell them that that's not the case at all. Their friends are going to tell them that's not the case. Their boyfriends or girlfriends are going to tell them that's not the case. And what we need to be modeling and what we need to be teaching our kids is that God has given sex as a wonderful gift to a husband and wife within the bonds of marriage. And that is something that should not be cheapened. It should not be made trivial. It should not be... Um, used as a selfish ploy or desire by anybody, but it should be given to our spouses. And we need to be teaching that, and we need to be modeling that, because the TV's not doing that, their friends aren't telling them that, and the world isn't as well. And so we need to be teaching that. Finally, we need to teach our children why parents dare to discipline. Why do we dare to discipline? Well, the Scripture tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Here's how our, scripture, or our society interprets that. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the time out will drive it far from them. The Bible is clear as to why spanking our kids is right and good. And timeouts are wonderful. My dad used to have timeouts. Those were when he got winded from spanking us, by the way. Okay? But spanking is good. And I know there are some, and there were some. This is the point in the message where I look out into the crowd, and, and people are getting upset, and, and oh, that spanking is an old-fashioned thing. And Tim, don't you know, psychologists tell us that, that spanking hurts the kid. I mean, some of the most crazy things Sigmund Freud ever said we're surrounded on the subject of spanking. They're crazy thoughts, okay? 
But here's the problem. If you say that what is written here is outdated, your issue isn't an issue of discipline. You've got real questions about the Word of God. If we believe the Word of God to be our textbook for life, then when the Bible says, spank your kids, that's exactly what it's saying, then we need to do it. God has given a wonderful fluffy spot on the back of their bodies to to be able to exact uh, correction without leaving permanent damage. Now, I say that, and I also recognize that people can be sinful, and that all discipline needs to happen with compassion. It needs to happen with love and affection. It needs to come with education and teaching. So the last thing I want someone to do is, maybe you've never spanked your child, you come home and you're like, all right, pastor said spank you, I'm going to do it. Maybe go to that, that seminar, that class that we've got going on, and learn what it means to rightly discipline your kids. But here's the thing. This is all from, listen, this is all from one chapter of the Scriptures. We've got a lot we can grow in, right? There's a lot of things that we can, can pull from Scripture that will help us to be better parents. Now notice, we can't just do this as if our kids are computers. We must recognize that children are people as well. That our children uh, have their own ideas, they have their own struggles, they have their own personalities, their own views on life, and not one of them is like another. And so what that means is we need to parent our children, notice the next slide, we need to parent them with tenderness and tenacity. And those terms usually isolate themselves from one another. So some of you are really good on the tenderness thing. You are your child's best friend. They love you. Whatever they did, good, bad, or ugly, they they just know they're going to be accepted with open arms and high fives. You're just the greatest thing in the world, you tell your kid over and over again. And I'm going to tell you, you need a little more tenacity in your parenting. You need a little more. Well, what is tenacity? It's stubbornness. It's a resolute feeling of conviction. It's perseverance. It's my way or the highway. And some of us right now need a little more of that in our lives. We need to be telling our kids who is the boss. We need to make that abundantly clear in the life of the kids that they do not rule the nest, but that mom and dad do. But some of you are all about rules and regulations. You rule your family with an iron fist. And it is not right to do that in isolation. Some of you need to put your arms around your kids and say, you know what? It's okay. I love you. For some of us, we need to put our arms around our kids and say, I've been there before. Don't be ashamed. We need to show love and affection. Where do we get this tenderness and tenacity from? Our Father in heaven. God is a tender God who lavishes love on us. Oh, how great the love the Father has lavished upon his children tenderness. But never in Scripture do we ever see that God's people rule the world. Who rules it? God does. God is the great Father who is tenacious at seeing His ways always being the ways in which we will go. And so we need to do it with tenderness and tenacity in balance with one another. And hopefully you have a spouse, okay, Uh, a spouse that's more tender maybe or tenacious work with each other to make sure that you're presenting a full front so what is the uh, what is the role of the parent to fulfill your calling to train your children to glorify God at all times by carefully addressing the important topics of life with tenderness and tenacity so that's it for the parents you guys can get up and leave now because I'm going to talk with the kids And it's going to be a lot shorter because the the role of the kids or the responsibility of the kids is much smaller. So if you are a child, and a child, listen to me, a child is anybody who cannot live on their own. So if you're 38 years old and you're drinking your parents' water and eating your parents' food and and sleeping in your parents' uh, uh, bedroom in their house, hopefully not in their bedroom, but in in one of their rooms, okay, and, and your mailing address is their mailing address, you're a child, okay? And that's part of the problem. If you're, if you're uh, you know, getting into your late 20s, you better start figuring out how you've been failing to launch, and you need to get going in your life, okay? So a child is anybody who's in, in our midst right now, who's in school, elementary school, all the way to the child who is still old enough, or is old enough to be on their own, but isn't. What's your responsibility? What is your job? It's far simpler. Your parents have got it a lot more difficult. 
But notice in verse 17, here's the word to the child. Incline your ear and hear the word of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Number one, child, young person, your number one job is to be a listener, not a talker. Your job is to be willing to listen to godly counsel. Notice a couple things about this phrase, incline your ear. Number one, it's a command. That means when mom and dad talk, you listen. Your job is not to give commentary. Your job is not to give input. Your job is to listen. And when they ask for input or commentary, you give it. But your job is to be a listener. Now, why would Solomon say this? Because Solomon is a wise man. And Solomon understands that a student learns through his ears, not through his mouth. Does that make sense? We learn by listening, not by talking. In Proverbs 13:1, we are told a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to a rebuke. I love watching sports with my kids. And one of the things that just irks me is they got questions about everything on the sport. Tell me why is this guy doing this and why is this guy doing that? And my response to them over and over again is listen to the guys that are talking. They're experts. They're going to tell you what's going on in the game. And if you'll close your mouth and listen, you'll learn why they're doing it. They'll answer all of your questions. But young people always want to be the ones who are talking. And I know that because that was me not too long ago. Notice what does this word incline your ear look like? Literally, it means you thirst after it. You give yourself wholly to it. You immerse yourself into it. And so what you as a young person should be doing is immersing yourself in getting as much listening of godly wisdom that you can. So the question this morning is, who are you listening to? Are you listening to Hollywood? That's not going to get you anywhere. Are you listening to your friends? Good luck. I mean, your friends are great, but they're just as dumb as you are. And so you need someone who's wiser, someone who's been around the block a couple times, who recognizes the temptations and the struggles and the, and the frailties of, of humanity and can teach you things. That's why Solomon said this to his son. He said in, in uh, Proverbs 7, 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. The number one goal you should have is to learn what it means to be wise and knowledgeable. How do you do that? It involves lifelong learning. You need to be a learner. And what that means is you need to be willing to watch people live. As a teenager, God empowered me. I don't know why he did, but God empowered me to look at my parents very differently. Around my junior year, I began to see that my parents weren't full of malarkey like I thought they were. And it was the best thing because I saw my parents as, as followers of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, trying to live life to the best of their ability, empowered by the Spirit. And there was something very attractive about that. There was something very attractive as to how my dad lived life. I said, I want to be like him. And then God gave me a youth pastor named John Avery who ministered here. And, and I watched him and his wife live. And I watched how they interacted with one another and how they were raising a young family. And, and there was something very attractive about them. And I said, I want to be like that. And what you need to do as a young person is find someone that you say, man, that, that's how I want to live. Now, hopefully... They're living life for the right reasons. Hopefully you can find that within your own home, but maybe you can't find that within your own home. Hopefully you can find it within the church. I hope you come here and you can see men and women, young people, that you say, I want to be like them. I, I want to live life like they do. They're filled with joy and they've made wise decisions and, and God seemingly is with them. And, and I want to be that way when I grow older. You need to become a student of the word. The Bible is full of wonderful biographies of people who have blown it and people who have done it right. And wonderful examples. We just got done with a, a great biography on the life of Samson and how God empowered him to do such wonderful things and how he chose to do it his way over and over again. You need to be a lifelong learner. Finally, you need to lean on God always. Verse 19 
that your trust may be in the Lord. There is one prayer I have for my kids, and it comes from 3 John uh, verse 4. And that is there is no greater joy than to know my kids are walking in the Lord. And I want my boys to know, yeah, they can trust on mom and dad. Yeah, they can trust their friends. But that their trust comes first and foremost in the arms of God. That word trust literally means to thrust oneself into the arms of another. Young person, don't throw your arms into your boyfriend or girlfriend or into the popular kids' table. Thrust yourself into the arms of God. Because when you do, you will never be more protected. When you do, you will never be more used by the God of this universe than, than at that point. Put all your energy and your desire into him. And so what will that do? One final thing, we'll fast forward through this and you can study it as we go on through our week. What results come? Well, notice there are results that God advertises. Notice again, these results aren't promises. Just because you do these things and dedicate yourself to these patterns doesn't mean life will go well with you as a promise. But God seemingly says when we dedicate ourselves to these things, there are some good opportunities before us. Parents, you have the first one. You have the opportunity and the joy to develop truly successful children. You have an opportunity to see your kids grow up who honor God in the good times and the bad times and even the ugly times. My hope and my prayer is that my parents will see that even though they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination in parenting, and by no stretch of the imagination was I a perfect kid, that my, kid, or my parents can look at their two sons who are still living and say they are truly honoring us by honoring the Lord. That should be your goal as kids. How can I honor my parents by doing well in life, by honoring God? That means as parents, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. The Bible says that a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Young people, are your parents glad that you're their kid? I know they, they say they'll never get rid of you. That's what we say. It's just nice things to say to kids. But are you making your parents' work a joy and not a burden? Some of the things I'm most ashamed of is the moments I made my mother cry because of stupid things that I did. And I, I thought they were funny. I thought they were, were things, oh, why is my mom getting all worked up? Until I was holding that baby in my hands and recognized the absolute weight of the responsibility of what it is to be a parent. Make your parents proud by living a life that honors God and honors them. Number two, what this life will do is it helps you, young person, to discern between right and wrong. It says, uh, have I not, in verse 20, written you uh, 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge? Why? To make you know what is right and true. Young person, there is a whole litany of decisions you are about to make. And those decisions will have ramifications in your life for years to come. And what your parents, if they are following God's pattern, are doing, are helping you know how to make wise decisions and how to not make the unwise ones. And you think they're cramping your style. You think that they're just wanting to be uncool. Let me tell you something. I would rather my sons be wise than cool. I would rather my sons make good decisions that they can stand by for years to come than to make a fun decision that could reap a harvest of disaster in a heartbeat. We want you to be wise and discerning. Why? Notice the pattern. The idea here, it says, so that you may give an answer. The reason why is so that you can dispense wisdom to your own children. The reason why we're hard on you, the reason why we're stubborn with you, the reason why we're uncool with you is one day you're going to have to be hard, stubborn, and uncool with your own kids. And it's going to make sense then. And then the thing that will mess it all up is, is your parents will turn into grandparents and then they lose their minds. Okay? <laughs> Because everything they taught you, they tell you, oh, I'll be nice to the kids and all that. And you look at your parents, you're like, who are you? And where did you take my parents? So where does it finally lead us? Guys, if we do this, the, the Lord doesn't promise it, but he says we'll be able to delight in the good life. There's a good chance of it. Notice verse 18, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Do you want to live the good life? That word pleasant literally is a picture of a full and satisfied belly. 
My hope and prayer is that my kids will know they grew up in a strict home, in a home that had parameters, that had rules, but that they would be able to say, I am glad my dad does that. Here's one of the things I've learned early on with our neighbor kids. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, some neighbor kids that come from a home that, that probably is, is not living these things out. And, and one of the boys, he's a talkative little boy, and he, he came up to me once and he said, Noah sure, is good. Noah sure is lucky that he has parents that tell him what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And I was blown away by that. And I said to him, I said, well, why would you say that? He says, because I just feel like I'm doing this by myself. And kids, you need to understand, the last thing you want to do is live life on your own. At 38 years of life, there are days upon days that one of my first phone calls is to one of my parents. Pray for me. Hey, what should I do in this? It is good to have your parents around. Live in such a way that you're grateful for it. Parents, do not neglect that responsibility. God says that society will go the way of the family, and this is one of our greatest opportunities to affect change in our world is by living according to these Proverbs. Let's tie them into our hearts, bind them to our hearts, and let's live them out so that our kids will be blessed, so our parents will be blessed, so our world will be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. What an aptly spoken word in our day and age. So Lord, I pray a blessing on our parents, Lord, that they would do what is right and good. Train us, Lord, so that we may train others. Lord, I pray for our young people with the myriad of decisions and the myriad of things that are coming their way. Show them the good that comes from good and wise counsel. Teach them to listen. Teach them to apply this knowledge to their lives. Lord, we do this not so that we'll gain a, an award for family of the year or parent of the year or child of the year. We do so because when we parent well, when we submit well, we show the world a picture of the Trinity in action. A father who loves, a son who submits, a spirit that binds it together in peace and love. Lord, when we live out the family that you've called us to be, we live out you in flesh. So Lord, empower us by your spirit to do it. We can't do it on our own, and we need your spirit's guidance each and every day, whether we're a parent, a child, or a grandparent that we may do it in a way that honors you. Thank you for being the greatest and the perfect of all parents who loves us and cares for us, but is willing to discipline us when we go the wrong way. Now lead us out, Lord, into the cars, into our family lives, so that we may reflect this teaching in our lives. It is in your son Jesus' name we pray this and ask for his blessing. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.